0: So we're in a, a series uh, on hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, last week, Travis Bowles, in my absence, preached on the saying from Jesus that we must be perfect as God is perfect and uh, what the standard was that uh, God was really setting or Jesus was really extending towards his followers um, and the only way to achieve that standard uh, through faith in him. Uh, today, as we continue our series on difficult teachings from Jesus, we're going to be in John chapter 6. Um, this is actually the passage where many of Jesus' followers actually say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Um, so you can almost say that the title for the whole series uh, comes from this passage. There's a lot going on. Uh, before we actually even get to, and I'm going to read a lot of it, but before I even get to reading the big chunk that I'm going to read, I want to set the context, um, what happens or unfolds before we even get to Jesus' response and teaching Uh, which includes the hard saying, the difficult teaching we're going to look at this morning. But uh, before uh, the response that I read, that we're going to pick up in verse 35. So preceding that, uh, what has been going on is Jesus has been healing people. He's been doing ministry. Uh, Jesus is going to Jesus, right? So he's been doing what he came to do. Uh, He's performing signs, and uh, I like to use the word signs. As pointed out by another preacher recently that uh, the signs point to something else, right? It is not the thing, but it points us to something. And so when Jesus was doing miracles or signs, he wasn't just like, here's a miracle because you need a miracle, and that's it. That's the end-all, be-all. That's the answer. He was saying, this is a sign that points to me. So every time he does some kind of miracle, he's pointing to something else in himself, and so he's been healing. He's been ministering, and so he's retreating a little, um, trying to retreat. He continues to try to get further away from the crowds. At these moments, uh, he's at the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds continue to follow him because of the things that he's been doing. They know he's healing the sick. He's making people walk just by speaking to them who haven't walked in almost forty years, and uh, all kinds of amazing things. He goes up on the mountain. He's about to eat with his disciples. It says the Passover is at hand. And here comes the crowd. Uh, and so Jesus um, turns to his disciples, and um, you don't see humor necessarily in the text, but I, I mean, Jesus was perfect, so I feel like he had the perfect sense of humor. Um, and so when these 5,000 plus, maybe more like 8,000 people are walking towards him, and they're about to eat, um, which I think it's also cool that he didn't say like, oh, well, forget dinner, now we got to deal with the crowd. He's like, we're going to keep doing what we're supposed to do. Here comes a crowd, so he turns to the disciples like, "Hey, how are we you know did you go to the store like you, you remember to buy eight thousand plus meals for these people right um, and you know their response is like, ah, we don't have enough money to buy that much food uh, there's one you can see the personality kind of coming out where he says like we we have this much money, and that's not going to pay for that right like the, the counter, the planner uh, is like this this is not going to cover that um, and he turns to another disciple, and Andrew has uh, found that there's somebody with a little bit of food, and he's like, okay, well, here's what we have, but he's still kind of looking, and he's like, but th- this is not going to cover that, right? Uh, what we have is not enough for all of those people. And so Jesus knew, he knew, as the text tells us, he knew what he was going to do. Before he even asked the disciples, like, how are we going to feed these people? So that's why I think there's a little bit of humor there, right? He could have been like, oh, what, you know? Uh, it's like in some rare occasion when one of our kids is not with us and the other kids don't realize it. And they're like, where, you know, where's Landry? And we're like, you lost him? What, what happened? But we know where he is, right? Um, that's how I picture Jesus. That's how I like to picture Jesus in this passage. Like, you didn't plan on the 8,000 people? Like, what, what are you doing? You're not doing your job. Anyway, Jesus knew what he could do, and he multiplies the little that they have. He feeds the, again, more like probably 8,000 people. There's a bunch left over, uh, and so they eat, and there's abundance, and that's again, it's a sign pointing to more than just the need that they had in the moment. But the people latch on to the, the then, the there and the now, the there and the then <laughs> uh, of the physical um, satisfaction of the miracle, the sign. Right and, they're, and they seek to seize him and crown him. It says Jesus knew that they were going to take him by force to try to make him king right then and there. Uh, because of this amazing miracle that he had performed. And so there's a sense in which they're like, this guy can get stuff done. Look at this amazing thing he just did. This is the person we want to set us up as, again, an earthly kingdom, to set us up as a prominent nation on earth physically, right, um, military-wise and government-wise. And so they seek to crown him, and Jesus is like, that's not, not what I'm about, right? So he kind of retreats again. Because he's thinking heavenly kingdom, they're thinking earthly kingdom. And then there's just a few short little verses where not much happens. Jesus just walks on water. Another amazing thing that happens. and It's just kind of sandwiched in here between these two passages. Um, we'll do, uh, I think it would be good to do a, a, a series on, on the signs, miracles of Jesus at some point. Um, this morning is not that. Um, but he walks on water, which is amazing, and the crowds find him again and they're approaching him again, um, and they're saying, hey, we, you know, we want, basically they're like, we wanna see you do the bread thing again, like do do the miracle thing again. Uh, And he's saying, you're looking for a sign, but what you need is something spiritual. Jesus is trying to tell them, you need something spiritual, not something physical. Um, You know, he's like, you're looking for the wrong kind of bread. You need to believe in God. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll do that sign, that bread sign miracle again, and then we'll believe in God. Uh, and so they kind of refer to manna, right? They're like that, you know, God provided manna back then, we just saw you provide this bread uh, yesterday, uh, and so give us, give us another one of those and we will, we'll believe, we'll trust, right? Uh, whatever bread you say is best, Jesus, right? They're like, maybe we're not saying it right, but like, give us whatever bread you decide and then we'll believe, and then we're going to pick up with his response. John chapter 6, starting in verse 35. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have, been, you have seen me, and yet do not believe. And that the Father gives me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who who did not believe him and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We're going to stop right there with our text this morning. And there is a lot there. I, I, I know. There's so much. You may have gotten lost in the reading of it. I apologize for that. But just didn't think I could skip pick and choose on that, right? And we went over a lot of this two weeks ago in Bible study, if you were able to be there, because it was the first I am statement that we studied in our I am statement study uh, with R.C. Sproul last week with uh, Professor Will. Now, this is a difficult teaching where Jesus is spiritualizing something physical, a physical aspect of life, and he's kind of speaking metaphorically. But people are confused because he said, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Just like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, asking how he can be born again as a grown man, or the woman at the well in John chapter 4, looking for this, where's this water that you're offering that will make me never be thirsty again? Jesus is taking something physical, something in the context of earth and life and pointing to something greater. But they weren't quite getting it, just like uh, the audience here is not getting it in John chapter 6. And so just uh, first, I want to talk about what Jesus is not saying in this passage, uh, and then we'll spend some time on what he is saying. First of all, Jesus is not saying that we're to eat his actual flesh and drink his actual blood. Uh, We already read the main reason why, and we'll look at it again in a little bit, but some of the other evidence that points us to this fact is that Jesus promises his flesh to the whole world in verse 51. There simply is not physically enough of Jesus' physical body to allow the whole world to eat his body. Now, Jesus is God, and he can perform miracles. He just multiplied bread and fish not long before this. And so some faiths believe in something called transubstantiation, which is the belief that the communion elements like we have in our tray here, literally become the flesh and blood of Christ while maintaining the appearance and taste of what they are in the tray, bread or wine, crackers, etc. And they base that belief that it actually becomes the literal flesh and blood in a passage like today and when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and he says, this is my body, right? So, that would be a belief in the miraculous multiplication of Jesus' actual flesh and blood, that he is uh, performing a miracle in actually multiplying his literal flesh so that there's enough for everyone to partake of it and drink it. But Jesus, here in John chapter 6, keeps pointing to a spiritual bread. He's not pointing to his actual flesh <clears throat> to be eaten or consumed. He tells them back in verse 27 not to seek the bread that perishes, right? This physical bread that goes away, that's temporary, that's earthly. In verse 58, Jesus says that the bread of life is not like the bread that their fathers ate. Though that could be argued that he's talking about how it's uh, efficient, right, for satisfaction or salvation. Regardless, we have some strong indicators here that Jesus is pointing us to spiritual bread, not his literal body. He's also not saying... That literally eating and drinking anything grant us eternal life. So even if you argue, okay, it's just bread and wine, it's just juice and cracker, it's not the literal flesh. But if I eat it, that's what saves me. He's not saying that either. What he's doing is making a that's making a connection to communion from this passage, which he has not even instituted yet. He hasn't gone and said. This is my body, and take and eat, and um, do this in remembrance of me. He hasn't even gotten to that point yet. So that's kind of a reading forward from this passage to say um, that taking taking communion confers salvation in some way. We know from the rest of Scripture that taking communion is not required for salvation. Uh, The short answer to refute this is that we understand from Scripture that we are saved by grace, through faith, and not of works. So eating uh, or doing anything would be a work, something that you do, something that's required of us, of effort from ourselves to save ourselves. And that is not what Scripture points us to. So Jesus cannot mean that physically, physically, literally eating the flesh and blood, whatever they may be, flesh and blood, juice and cracker, bread and wine, whatever, he cannot mean that eating that is a requirement for salvation because we do not see that in Scripture. We see uh, teaching against that in scripture. So, our view is that in that tray is not the literal flesh and blood of Jesus. Uh, and when we eat it, we are not earning salvation or receiving salvation, but we are per, um, participating in something that Jesus has given us as an act of obedience, an act of worship, an act of reflection. We identify with his broken body, his shed blood. We reflect on his sacrifice. We're proclaiming his death till he comes again. So it is something that we are called to do. It's something that helps us to identify with one another as a family, as a spiritual family, as a church. But it is not conferring salvation upon us. It is not consuming the literal flesh and blood of Jesus. So those are a couple of things he is not saying in this passage. Jesus says in verse 63, writes, The spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. So I can't help Jesus save me by eating bread and drinking juice, right? Uh, I'm saved completely by his work. So then what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying in this passage? As I mentioned, he's uh, doing something here as taking eating and drinking, making them metaphors for trusting and believing in him. Uh, He spells it out for us in this passage, and maybe sometimes it just gets lost. It's Uh, He says it a few times. And so it's interesting that they would say, you know, we don't get this. This is a hard saying. Um, What are you you talking about? How can we eat your flesh and blood? Uh, But in verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And again, in verse 47, he says, whoever believes has eternal life. So he interchanges eating and drinking with believing, and he interchanges bread of life with himself. And so if eating and drinking symbolize belief, trust, faith, and the bread symbolizes him, then you can say, okay, then take bread, uh, take eating and drinking, make that believe, take bread and make it Jesus, believe in Jesus, and you receive eternal life. And so uh, I don't know why he would choose to put uh, a difficult teaching or saying to, uh, to kind of wrap around these things. I can give you some reasons why I think that he did that. But what Jesus is pointing us to in this passage is not to eat his flesh or drink his blood, um, but to believe in him only for eternal life. Almost everywhere in this passage that you see him say, eat or drink, it's believe and know. It's trusting in his body that would be offered up for us, in his blood that would be spilled. It's not eating that satisfies hunger and gives eternal life, it's believing in Jesus. And it's not drinking that quenches thirst, but believing in Jesus, the living water, as he called himself, which seals us for eternity in him. Now Jesus, he points to bread, I believe, because of the connection to manna. Right? There have been signs of physical sustenance and uh, manna and provision from God, and so he points to that and uses that uh, that metaphor, that illustration, to say, "I am bread. You you need bread for physical life. Well, you need spiritual bread. You need Jesus for spiritual life." There's a lot of Passover connection there. There's the miracle that he just performed with the loaves and fishes. This emphasis, this focus, this, we want to see that bread sign again, and so it makes sense that he would kind of start to connect bread of life. You're looking for bread, but the wrong kind of bread. You need the bread of life, and I am that, is what Jesus says. He's pointing us to bread because people think their greatest need is physical, but their greatest need is actually spiritual. It's something much greater than what they perceive in the moment. <clears throat> When I bought uh, my first house, it was, uh, it was in foreclosure, and so it had been sitting there for a long time. A lot of things were wrong with it. Um, we thought we knew what those things were, had an inspection done, and so they give you this big, long list, and you think, okay, okay. You know, knew about some of these, didn't know about some of these other things. Uh, it kind of gives you uh, an idea of what you're working with. But One of the things uh, on the list was uh, the, the air conditioning system. Uh, and I know very little, Uh, I was writing this, and I kept writing like thingy and doodad, and I was like, let me Google a couple of these things so I don't sound like a complete idiot in front of all these people, but um, there's a box on the outside uh, with the condenser unit, and there's just a little like metal kind of tab thing, uh, which I don't know why this is the fail safe, but there's like a disconnect switch in a box, and there's a little just metal tab that slides in there, which completes the circuit, I guess, and like makes it all go. Well, that tab thing was gone. And so the inspector was like, the unit probably works. It's just missing that little tab. And it's like 10 bucks at Lowe's. So he's like, you just put that in there, and then it, it'll fire up, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't sound too bad. That's so easy, even I could do it. And so I go and get the part. I'm like, but if you know me, Danielle knows me, it's never as easy as it's supposed to be. Even if I have YouTube or a professional walk me through it, whatever, something always goes wrong. And so I get the little metal thing, I stick it in there, I go to turn on the system, and nothing. And so an AC man came out and was like, yeah, this whole condenser unit needs to be replaced. Like, the whole thing is shot. Uh, oh, okay, so not like a $10 part from Lowe's that I can just do myself. He's like, no, it's gonna, be, uh, it's gonna be a nightmare. It's gonna be a big deal. I'm like, oh, well, naturally, that makes sense. Uh, and so it turns out the whole thing was bad, right? I needed a whole new... Uh, My air conditioner needed a new life, right? Not just a little uh, $8 insert. My actual need was far greater than my perceived need. Uh, And there was no quick fix that was going to work when the whole unit was was toast, basically. It's kind of like the great philosopher uh, Taylor Allison Swift said, Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes, right? And so when you think... You have a little problem, and just a temporary fix, a quick fix, something um, that will satisfy you in the moment is going to work, and there's something completely broken and dead behind it. It's not going to fix your problem, right? This is where these confused followers of Jesus are in John 6. They don't get it. In verse 60 and following, we see this greater group of disciples, so not the twelve but still people that Scripture calls disciples, people who are following Jesus, they say this is difficult to understand. And Jesus tells them that he has the words of spirit and life, but he also says, and some of you still don't believe. I think this is really interesting, uh, really profound, that the Bible calls these people disciples, and yet they don't believe. I think this goes to show that we can try to meet our deepest spiritual needs with claiming Jesus, uh, hanging around Jesus, going to church, singing, praying, maybe even serving, giving, all those things. But that's not going to transform our lives, right? That's not where our greatest, deepest need is. Uh, Anytime that I've led a membership class at a church, we always start with, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Because the last thing we want to do is is receive you into church membership, plug you into all the programs, systems, ministries, and just go forward so that your life is better, but if you're spiritually dead, we have not addressed your greatest need. And so it's crazy to me that these people are called disciples, followers of Jesus who don't believe. Now, uh, do we go to church, pray, sing, give, serve, do those things? Yes, we do. Um, those flow from belief in Jesus, right? They're disciplines and fruit of a heart that has been changed. They don't change your heart. And so these followers in John chapter 6, they're looking for something to eat, sustenance for physical life, and Jesus is offering them eternal life. He's showing them that it doesn't matter if you fill your stomach, if you're spiritually dead. And he keeps saying only the Father can extend that life and only the Spirit can make you alive. He keeps pointing them to that. And I think it's also worth noting that he doesn't totally ignore their physical need, right? There's not a crowd of 8,000 people that walk up hungry and he says, I know you're hungry, but listen, let me tell you about Jesus and eternal life. He says, let me go ahead and fill your stomachs. Let me meet that physical need, but let me tell you what your greater need is. I think that's important for us to, to remember to note that if we're seeking to share Jesus and the truth of the gospel with people around us, that we don't, totally overlook whatever their physical, real-life, earthly need is and try to just spiritualize them. But that we show them we care about you, the whole person, and your physical need, but your greater need is something deeper, is something spiritual. And so Jesus explains this again, right, that these are the words of eternal life and only the Father can save you and uh, you need bread that is not physical but spiritual, And many of them leave. They walk away. It's a hard, difficult saying that they've been given. And so Jesus turns to the 12 and he asks them if they want to leave too. And Peter gives this amazing confession. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Right? We recognize that you are speaking spiritually impactful, eternally significant, life-changing truth. And so, we're not going to go anywhere else because you are the one, the only one, who offers us that. I always picture um, an officer and a gentleman that scene with Lou Gossett Jr. and Richard Gere when I read this passage. And Lou Gossett Jr. is a drill sergeant, and he's just right in in Gere's face, and Gere's kind of a problem child kind of guy or whatever. And he's trying to get him to quit, and he's like, why don't you quit? He's making life miserable for him in in boot camp or, or whatever it is. He's like, why don't you quit? And Uh, Richard Gere's character is like, I've got nowhere else to go. He's so desperate. He's at the end of his rope. However hard his life is in this moment, he recognizes he has no hope or life beyond his opportunity in the military. And he said, I've got no place else to go. So out of desperation and realization, not just like, well, I hope this works, but he's like, this is the only thing that can work and I found nothing else that can save or satisfy. That's the confession that Peter is offering here. You may have just given us a hard, difficult saying, Jesus, and maybe we're still trying to wrap our minds around it, and maybe we don't really fully understand all that it entails to follow you, but we recognize that our only hope in life and death is to follow you. It's kind of like marriage, right? Like when you get married, you don't know what you're signing up for, but you better know that you're signing up for whatever that is. I don't know if that sounds like a Dr. Seuss riddle to you, but you don't know. You don't know what you're going to encounter. You don't know how hard it's going to be. You don't know what is going to be called of you or or asked of you to do. Same with following Jesus. But when you sign up for it, you're saying, whatever it is, that's what I'm going to do. I'll do whatever it takes. I have nowhere else to go. This is my commitment, my covenant. This is where I'm putting all of my eggs in this basket to say, I don't know exactly what I'm signing up for, but I know I'm signing up for it, like I'm in. And so that's what Peter is saying, right? You alone, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. We have nowhere else to go. So even if your words of eternal life are difficult for us, uh, are hard for us to understand, or hard for us to apply, sometimes it's not a matter of understanding, it's a matter of application, like last week, like, uh, we hear what you're saying. Be perfect. Okay, like, uh, we'll figure out how to do that. Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. I am the bread of life. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, okay, like, I'm gonna, you're going to receive understanding from you, Lord, because you are the one who gives eternal life. And we can find it in anyone or any place else. Following Jesus may be confusing at times, it may be difficult at times, but we've got nowhere else to go, guys. If we recognize our spiritual state apart from Jesus, and we recognize he is the only source of eternal life, he is the bread of life, and if we believe in him, we receive eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, Thank you for your teaching um, that we are able to, to read the, the words that you spoke. We're able to see, the, uh, to see ourselves a little bit in, in the crowds that, that follow you, the crowds who get distracted by the amazing things that you're doing and uh, the, the signs, the miracles that you're performing that, that are pointing us to something greater. And yet we often are like the crowds who are saying, oh, do, do that one again. Do that, do that thing again where you, where you meet my need as if that is the end-all, be-all. Jesus, help us to see. Help us to see past the sign to you. Help us to trust and to believe in you, the true source of life. Thank you, Jesus, for, for being a God who who does meet physical needs? Who does address our, our perceived, our felt needs? Our the, the, the things that are difficult in life, you do provide for us. But uh, but Jesus, not to 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 be something that we then worship that, but that we would see you as the giver of everything good and perfect. I pray, Jesus, that for those who have trusted, who have who have eaten your flesh and. Tr- Drink your blood, God, who have believed in you, Jesus, for eternal life, that we would remember not to get distracted by the physical needs in the world. That we remember that there are many who are still far from you, who have yet to trust in you for eternal life. And that our mission is not to to pave the road to hell, so to speak. Our our mission is not to, to make life better for them, as they die spiritually in unbelief. But our our path is to minister and meet needs and point them to living water, bread of life, hope in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that, that the flesh is no help at all, and that the Spirit alone gives us life, that there's nothing we can do, nothing we can earn, no effort that we can Performed a work that we can set forth that, that earns us spiritual life or helps you give us spiritual life. Thank you, Jesus, that despite our helplessness, you extend grace to us. You open our eyes. You transform our hearts. You make us new. And we praise you for that. Amen.